In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. You can hear me now, right? Well, I don't know if you all were paying attention, but that great hymn that we just sang talked about God's love. And, and if you noticed, uh, our lessons, psalm, and gospel all lead to just one thing. Obeying the law, which translate to one word, love. When I want true philosophical interpretation of the word love, I turn to whom I consider the human source of wisdom, Charles Schultz. In one of his cartoons, Peppermint Patty and Charlie Brown are sitting under a tree, and Patty says, tell me what love is, Chuck. Charlie tells his story. Many, many years ago, my father owned a 1934 black sedan. Well, what's that got to do with love, Patty challenged. Well, my father met this pretty young girl, and he would take her for rides in his 1934 black sedan. And when he would go pick her up, he would walk her to the passenger side of the car. He would open the door for her, let her sit in, then he would close the door, and then he would walk around behind the car to the driver's side. And as he approached the driver's side, the girl would reach over and lock the door and kind of wiggle her nose and grin at him. That's what I think love is, Charlie said. Patty says, you know, sometimes, Charlie, Chuck, I just don't understand you. Well, there was another episode under the same tree, apparently, and Patty looked at Charlie Brown and said, sometimes I feel like I've done all that I can do. Charlie Brown offers a very pro profound thought this time. He says, then it might be time to walk away, let it go, and let God do it. Not, everyone is meant for you, not everything is meant for you to handle. Trust God. And then yet another time, Patty asked, tell me what love is, Chuck. A man called Jesus Christ, Charlie responded. So what we're dealing here with is what Christ called the second greatest commandment, and that is to love one another as yourself. Another thought of wisdom from my buddy Charlie Schultz, or from Schultz is love someone not because they give you what you need, but because they give you feelings you never thought you needed. Now Paul, Paul says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Not only are we to seek the path that Christ has observed and observe the law and doing our best to imitate Christ, but we're to be alert to the needs and the sins of others. <clears throat> We cannot live in a vacuum, but must be ever vigilant to the needs of others. We must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In our reading from Ezekiel, we find God creating the image of a watchman, the responsibility of warning a nation in the event of an impending assault. The watchman must sound the trumpet to offer clear warning. And I mentioned, Chuck, that's your job. Chuck is now our watchman with his trumpet. Father John, he's to let you know if there's any impending danger coming. But 
in this, in this approach, what God is telling Ezekiel, Ezekiel, that though the watchman would not be held responsible for the people's reactions to his warnings, he would be guilty for any bloodshot or bloodshed if he failed to sound his alarm. The Lord applies this principle to Ezekiel as his appointed prophet. He must warn the wicked of the consequences of their ways. If the wicked respond in faith and repentance to the summons of the prophet, their life will be spared. But if they continue in their same sinful patterns, divine judgment will inevitably fall. And if, however, the prophet fails to warn the wicked of their ways, the Lord will hold him accountable for the blood of the wicked. Now the psalm finds us asking for understanding and help in keeping the law and following the path of the commandments. And ten commandments in Hebrew translate to ten words, which, by the way, Paul tells us that of all the commandments that can be summed up in just the words, namely, love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel, the gospel speaks of reconciliation. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. And if it's resolved between the two of you, wonderful. If not, the next step is to take witnesses, and then, if that doesn't work, take it to the congregation. In any event, the ideal is to reach reconciliation. You see, Jesus is talking about sin and a need to confront it before it spreads to the entire community. Sin is an insidious and destructive force. Left unchecked, it can grow and eat away at Christian fellowship and so destroy the Christian mission. And this process of confronting sin is not about discipline or punishment, but about reconciliation. We need each other to lead a life of repentance. We need brothers and sisters who possess humility and boldness. You see, Jesus offers us, offers us a cure for sin in our midst that is not worse than the sin itself because it does not lead us down the road toward punishment and death, but up the road towards reconciliation and life. Well, in this morning's passage from Paul's letter to the Christians living in Rome, he gives them an idea of what it means to belong to Christ. Paul says, you know what time it is. It is now the moment for you to wake up. All sermons should have that word in there at some point. Shouldn't you wake up? Yeah. Then he calls on them to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, where do you suppose Paul is going with this line of thinking? What does he mean when he says we are to put on Christ? Is it merely a handy metaphor for living faithfully? Or do you suppose there may be more to it? It goes without saying. We are living in incredulous times. Viruses, political unrest, natural disasters, storms. And we have to be asking ourselves, how are we supposed to cope with sickness, storms, and unrest? Paul gave us the answer a couple thousand years ago as he talked to the Romans. I think he had several things in mind. For one, he's urging us to wake up to be fully attentive to the moment. 
I read somewhere a question asked by a pastor, or I read somewhere a question asked by a pastor, how many days do we sleepwalk from morning until night? And most of those days, our senses are dulled to the opportunities surrounding us. Our treadmill existence diverts us, diverts our gaze from those precious moments that hold potential for something grand. A new friendship, a fascinating insight, a scene of beauty, a fresh understanding of our loved one, or just, just cause to stir our blood. Does your life feel as if it was one blasted thing after another, or does it feel more like an adventure? Are you rushing towards death, or are you awake each moment to how you can truly live? I've heard the medical reports and how so many of us are suffering from depression as a result of the COVID-19 virus and the other events around us. A man named John Kabat-Zinn began his college at the age of 16 and earned a PhD in molecular biology from MIT. He worked at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and is the author of, of many and several books. He studied the impact that both stress and meditation have on the brain, and he is changing the practice of medicine with his findings. Because you see, he says that when we are alert to the precious nature of each moment and how we can be fully present in it, it changes our brains. He says, it's your brain changes in both form and function, your immune system changes, your body changes. And when we really take care of what's most important, there are very tangible results at the level of the body, the mind, and the heart. Well, when we put on Christ, transformation occurs within us. Our brain and our body changes, and we evolve ever closer to the person that God wants us to be. Did you notice that in the beginning of the passage, Paul spells out the essence of Christianity? He says, love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You see, Paul was devoted to the Jewish law. He knew deep in his bones that God had given the law so that the people would know what enriches life and what destroys it. And after his encounter with Christ, Paul realized that all of the law could be summed up in Christ's great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when Jesus spoke of love, he did not have in mind feelings and emotions. He was speaking of actions, actions aimed at the well-being of another. And such actions emanate from a Christ-like orientation toward life. As I was driving in this morning, I was listening to my local Christian radio station, and one of the, one of the programs that they put on there, and I don't remember who it was, but it doesn't matter, he always ends his, his talk with, let's help someone out there. And he told the story of a young boy who woke up in the middle of the night because the thunder was cracking, and he ran and got in bed with his father. And he didn't ask for prayers to stop the thunder. He just asked for prayers for security. And the father didn't have to do anything but just hold him until the thunder was passed. That was action. Help somebody. And have you ever thought about your job as bringing out the best in others? When you treat someone as a precious child of God, as a person of worth as a person who deserves respect and attention, you ignite a spark of joy within them. And when you reach out in a caring way to someone who is hurting, 
you lift them out of darkness and relieve some of the pain. By focusing on others rather than yourself, by listening rather than talking, by forgiving rather than meeting anger with anger, by complimenting and praising and congratulating, you bring out the best in others. Now, Ezekiel warned us, tried to warn the nation. Paul also warned the Romans that the end of the age was at hand. The night is far gone, the day is near. Now, more than ever, it's time to live honorably. The day of salvation, which is also a day of judgment, is dawning, so it's time for us to wake up and get dressed so that we might be prepared to greet the new day. I'm going to end with a couple more quotes from my world expert on love. This time, it's Snoopy. And Snoopy, I don't know who he's talking to, but this is what he's saying. It could be Charlie Brown. I don't know. He says, because of you, I laugh a little harder, cry a little less, and smile a lot more. Thank you. And one of my favorite Snoopy's, Snoopy's sitting on top of this doghouse. We've all seen it. He's got the typewriter. He's just typing away. Don't know if he's writing a manuscript or writing a love letter to somebody. But he says this, my darling, that's Snoopy, my darling, you ask me if I love you. There is only one thing that I can say. Yeah. We finish with Charlie and Snoopy sitting on the dock, looking out over the water and up to the, the setting sun. And one is saying to the other, I don't know which one, but if you ask me how long I'll be your friend, my answer will be, I don't know. Because I really don't know which is longer, forever or always. Let's help somebody. Amen.